0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you tonight. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Let's start our time in prayer. Father, thanks for a space and a time to meet. We thank you for your presence here. We ask God that we'd be open and receptive to your Holy Spirit tonight. I ask you that uh, we'd be sensitive. And allow you to lead us, allow you to speak, and I pray God we have ears to hear what you want to say to us. I ask God that we'd allow you to change our hearts and change our minds tonight, to challenge our ways of thinking and challenge our ways of seeing things. I ask God that your word would supply revelation tonight. I pray your word would supply, God, encouragement tonight. I pray your word would supply truth into our lives tonight. God, thanks for being here thanks for uh, speaking here thank you god for your comfort and for your truth and for your life we give you honor and praise tonight have your way we ask you in jesus name amen amen if you have your bible it's going to open up back to the book of job job chapter 16 if you need a bible grab one off the table Job chapter sixteen, and as you're turning there, just a reminder that we do have an interactive feature for Bible study uh, through a website www.speakpipe.speakpipe.com/slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word, and you can click on a button there, toggle that button, and leave us a message. It could be anything from hello, hi this is who I am, this is where I'm at, to a question that you may have had for Bible study for one of us. It could be a comment, it could be just something good that you guys are doing. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll endeavor to play your message at our next meeting. So hopefully we'll hear from you this week. So Job chapter 16, need a volunteer to read verses 19, 20, and 21. Job 16, verses 19, 20, and 21. Thanks for reading that, Don. There's a, a good uh, passage in here uh, in, in what he's saying. And I want you to think about what he says in this verse. Uh, there's something really important about it. What's the first thing you notice about the verse here? Anybody can answer that, not just Don. Yeah, well, he's, he's looking at his intercessor as God. All right. And what he's saying is he's saying that he has an intercessor in heaven And he's speaking up on his behalf. And he's his friend. So I want you to think about, though, in terms of when this was written. Think in terms of who Job is and how far ago, how long ago, Job was living and Job was writing this. All right? Do you you kind of understand what I'm getting at here? Because there's something important about that. Because on this side of the gospel, on this side of Jesus... I mean, we know of Jesus as our intercessor. We know of Jesus as the one who is on our behalf. He's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We understand that. I mean, because that's that's a clear revelation. It's a, a clear revelation through a person that actually walked the earth, a clear revelation through those that wrote and accounted for his life, a clear revelation of the New Testament writers who wrote at length about this teaching and about who Jesus was and is in our lives today and 2,000 years of church history that we look back on where this has been taught and this has been a central doctrine of those teachings. We have all of that. Now, versus Job, who, as I've said before, I mean, he was writing this. Job uh, was alive during a time, I mean, if you look in your Bible, you're looking at around Genesis 5. Genesis 6 is when this guy was alive. Alright, so and, and if you ever read the Bible chronologically, that's where they usually put Job. Is you read the first few chapters and then Job comes up and you read Job because he's part of the the early existence, part of that that primitive faith, part of the primitive moment that that God had there. There's no scripture, there's no written word, there's no law, there's nothing except for man, his experience with God and his expressions of worship that's what there is and so based on that now follow me here based on just that based on a primitive faith based on no writing nothing that has been laid out ahead of time but just based on his experience and his worship of God and that's his experience personally with God and his heartfelt worship toward God he understands that he has an intercessor in heaven. Not only that, he understands that this intercessor stands up for him, and not only that, he understands that this intercessor is his friend. He understands all those things. And I would dare say that there's a lot of Christians alive right now, a lot of believers in Christ, that don't understand that. That don't understand we have an intercessor. We don't understand... That we have one in heaven that's standing up for us, that's looking out for us, that's speaking up on our behalf, who is our friend. And if you think about where you came from, you may not have come from a a tradition, a Christian tradition, that believed that. That really had any kind of a strong understanding of that. You may have come from a, a solid Christian background, but had no idea about how Jesus was looking out for you in heaven. No idea that that God himself was standing up for you, was interceding on your behalf in heaven. Wanting the best for you. You may not have understood that he's your friend. You may have seen God as mean, or you may have seen God as out to get you, or you may have seen God as somebody who was waiting for you to mess up. That's not a friend. That isn't. That's not what friends do. Friends look out for each other. Friends care about each other. Friends love each other. And so you got this guy thousands of years ago before anything, for any benefit of everything that we have right now, before the benefit of the written word, for the benefit of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, before the benefit of thousands of years of church history. You know what? He he understood this very simple thing, and that is he had somebody standing up for him. He knew it. He had a friend. And so I'm going to ask you the question. I mean, can we really say more than he understood? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, is it any better for us or any worse? Can we say any more or any less? Or is God the same? Is this our relationship? Think about it. In general terms, do we have somebody that's standing up on our behalf? Yeah. Do we have somebody that's looking out for us? Yeah. Do we have somebody that makes intercession for us? Yeah. Do we have someone that's our friend? Yeah. And so God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. It's true. It's true. We can't say any more, we can't say any less. There it is. And so here's this guy, a declaration, and it is a declaration. It's a declaration that he has one who is making intercession for him. It's really a faith statement that he's making here, and it is a faith statement because he couldn't just go back into the scriptures and read it. So he has to make a statement in faith. You know, we can go into the scriptures and read this, right? Somebody look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7:25. 7, <clears throat> Hebrews 7:25. Somebody All right, talking about Jesus, he lives always to intercede for us. Now, now that's not just a faith statement on our part, although you need to make that as a faith statement. You can go back and read that. It's a declaration that's already been made 2,000 years ago. There's a declaration of Christ and who he is that has been made. It's solid, it's written, it's been the same in writing for the last 2,000 years. It stands up in and of itself, and it doesn't change. And so you can go back, you can read that anytime you want. But there's something important that needs to happen in your life where you take hold of that word, and you need to own it. And it needs to mean something to you. See, Job didn't have that. All he had was his faith. All he had was that which he knew in here. That which was a part of his life, a part of his spirit a part of who he was. That's what he had. He didn't have that written word. And even in the midst of the situation he was in where everything went against him, everything was just crumbled all around him. I mean, his family's dead. He's sick. He's got boils all over his body. All these things are taking place. He still held on to what he knew. He still was able to hold on his faith and it's just something he believed and there's a statement of that faith i'm not going to go as far as to say that every time that you allow your mind to contradict the word of god that you're calling god a liar i'm not going to go that far but i want you to think about it a little bit you have a written word you have the word of god that you can read anytime you want and he tells you the truth over and over again as many times you want to read it. And any time you allow your mind to tell you something else and you believe it, there's a little bit of you, a little part of us, when we do that, is calling that word a liar. And I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that absolutely. Because I don't know that that's the intention of our heart. I don't believe it is. I don't believe that's the intention of what we want to do or what we're trying to do. But in a very real sense, it creates that kind of a situation. Because if I sit here and I tell you the sky is blue, but you're going to inform me that the sky is really hot pink, and that's what you're going to go with, that I'm lying to you in your mind. You don't believe it. You don't think it's credible. It's a lie. And you're going to believe the sky is hot pink until somehow, some way, you change your mind. We have a written word that tells us the truth. And we need to start taking hold of it. We need to start believing it. And we need to start putting that into practice in our mm-hmm. lives. God isn't lying to us. He's not. He wants the best for us. And we're either going to believe Him, we're going to take hold of what He says, and really believe it, or just continue down whatever circular path, whatever path that we've, we've engaged in, by believing what's in our head. Whatever path of destruction that that leads to, which needs to stop. So Job makes his faith statement. That's what he believes. It's who he is. We need to make a faith statement too. But we have a good, sure word that we can go back to, and let that resonate in our hearts and our minds. We can read that as many times as we want. God's still saying the same thing. And he calls his witness in heaven. Literally, that means my eyewitness. And what was God the eyewitness of? It was the eyewitness of Job's integrity. Job is insisting to his counselors, to his friends, that he didn't do anything to cause God to do all this stuff to him. He didn't he didn't sin and there wasn't some kind of sin lurking in his life or manifest in his life that caused him to for for his children to be dead or for the boils to be on his body or for his property or his animals to be destroyed or whatever else you want to talk about happened to him. And his friends were trying to convince him that he had sinned or he'd done something wrong. And Job's like, I didn't I didn't and he understood and, and he could stand in that and he said you know what my eyewitness the one that really knows the one that can really stand on my up on my behalf well he's in heaven he's the eyewitness of my integrity the one in heaven and he said he's the one that speaks up for me he had that much confidence in who he was that much confidence in who god is that much confidence in his friendship with god that he was willing to say that to his counselors, to his friends, to all these people that were trying to blame him. He knew where he stood, and he understood it. You see, the witness of men does us little good without the witness of heaven. Because, man, people can say all they want, you're such a good person, and you may have had people say that. And, And, I don't know, maybe you are, maybe you're not, I don't know. But what I'm getting at is that that witness doesn't really mean much. The witness of heaven does. That witness that if people think you're a swell person, that's nice. But the witness of heaven is the one that really matters. Because when God speaks up for us, when God speaks up for us, that means something. That means more than us speak, speaking for ourselves. Because God is greater than our hearts, and our hearts are deceitful above all things. Who can know him? And so even if we think something of ourselves is not true, God's greater than that. Even if somebody else thinks something of us that's not true, God's greater than that. Even if we're in agreement with the people around us that maybe we are a swell person, well, God's still greater than that. And he's greater than any other witness. He's greater than any other person that wants to testify or not testify on our behalf or against us. He's greater than all of those. And one of the things that that we understand how Job triumphed in this situation over this period of time with these counselors and with these friends, quote-unquote, that were trying to help him, the way that he triumphs in this is that he appealed to God as his witness. That's how he triumphs. Because his friend's opinion were wrong, and his opinion didn't matter anything to them. And so the only opinion that was going to matter in this situation was God's, was his witness. And you see that at the end when God finally speaks, and when God begins to, to talk about who Job really is, and God speaks to his friends and he rebukes them, that's what matters. This conversation didn't continue after that. Understand that game over. When God showed up and God said, this is who Job is and this is you, who you are, talking to his friends and they got rebuked, that was the end of the game. That was the end of the conversation. There was no reason to continue it. And so the friends at least had enough sense to stop. And, and you know, I've been in some conversations recently, I wish the person talking to me would have had enough sense to stop. Because as far as I was concerned, the conversation was over probably ten minutes before it was over. And it could have ended right then, but it didn't. And so there, there's something about, there's something that, there is something that is important about God intervening. Something important about God speaking. Something important about God having something to say. Yesterday in church I was talking about the Council at Jerusalem. And, and I quoted James when he stood up at the council. He'd heard what Paul had to say and Barnabas had to say. He'd heard what Peter had to say. And so James stood up at the council and he quoted scripture. And when he had quoted scripture, he then said, this is my decision, this is what I want to do. End of the, that was the end of the story. That was it. Came over. Discussion was over. It was done. The authority of scripture was called upon This is what was said, and that was the end of it. God spoke. We need that in our lives. We need that in our lives. When God speaks, it needs to be done. When God leads you and gives you wisdom or understanding or some kind of vision for your life, well, then it needs to be done. That is Him speaking. That's not an open invitation for us to argue with the Almighty. That's not an open invitation for us to to try to convince him to do something else. And I mean, we can talk to him, and I'm sure that he has infinite patience with us. But I want to encourage you that as God reveals and as God shows and as God uh, really opens up our understanding and says, This is the way that we take hold of that and we start moving in that direction. God as a witness for Job, I mean, here he was. This was the end of the story when he began to speak. You see, God is the go-between. He's the friend. He's the one that's standing up for Job. And he's true. Somebody look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. First Timothy two five. <clears throat> Anybody? Alright. So according to 1 Timothy two, five, there is one God and there's one go-between. Man and God. And that is Christ Jesus. That's what it says. And I know people want to try to pretend that there's many paths. I know people want to try to pretend that there's many go-betweens. I know people want to try to say that. There's others, or there's some other way, or whatever. There isn't. It's Jesus. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. And so, when Job is talking about the go-between here, thousands and thousands of years before, he's talking about that Word of God. He's talking about that that Word that would become flesh, and that we would know as Jesus. He is the go-between. There's never been another go-between, and there'll never be another go-between. He's a, he's a mediator. And so Job, when he's talking about the mediator, he's talking about his friend. Well, his friend is Jesus. And his friend is true. Jesus said of himself, I'm the way and the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father, but by whom? By me. That's what Jesus said of himself. So, In that verse, he declares a lot of what we're talking about here tonight that Job understood thousands of years ago. That Jesus is the go-between. He's the friend. And we can have true confidence in him as our friend. You know, Job was saying that scorners were his friends. Those people that were scorning him, those were his friends. Those were his companions. That's who he had left. Family was gone. Everybody's gone. He's got these scorners left, and they're the ones that are his friends. But you know what? He had an understanding, and that was God was his friend. He understood that, that, that God was the one standing in between. He understood that God was true, and that he could trust him. Because he understood friends should defend us from scorn and injury, not heaping on. And so who was his defender? Well, it was God. Who was looking out for him? It was God. What were these other guys doing? They were doing whatever they were doing. They were bringing scorn onto him. But those were the companions that he had. And so he turned to the companion. He turned to the friend. He turned to the one who would bring him comfort. The Bible says in these verses that he was pouring out his tears to God. That's a bigger word than that. It talks about his prayers and his emotions and his feelings. And he understood that God took notice of him. He didn't doubt that. In other words, why pour out your tears? Why pour out your emotions, your prayers, your feelings to somebody who doesn't care? But he knew he cared. He knew he took notice of him and he knew he was listening to him and that he was able to to hear him and that he was taking action on his behalf. There's something powerful about that. That if we as people if we can get that into our hearts into our minds that we have one that does listen to us we have one that does care we have one that we have his attention. That when we cry out and we pour ourselves out emotionally to him whether our feelings our prayers our tears all of that that God takes full notice of us. It might help us to not heap so much on the people around us too I don't want to say that people are people we can only bear so much And, and if you've ever you know heaped a lot of stuff on a person you're going to watch them crack after a while because they can't take it we can't take it that's why the Bible talks about Jesus said cast your cares upon me because I care for you Jesus invites us to cast our cares on him. Job heard that before Jesus ever said it. For the Bible ever taught, told us to do that. Job knew that. You know, Job, he, I mean, he, he could have been a New Testament writer, okay? With his understanding of how God worked. He could have been a gospel writer. An early church writer, the way that he understood how God worked. Because he's going to cast his cares upon God. Why? Because God cares for him. He understood what Jesus said. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Job went to him. Job gave him his heavy burdens and took upon a light yoke. He understood it i mean jesus didn't teach that for thousands of years but he got it then we've got the benefit of all the teachings of jesus why are we still carrying the heavy load why are we still having our cares on us or trying to heap them onto another human being all the time who isn't who isn't qualified and who isn't able to to take it and to bear it now i know That that we're to bear one another's burdens and all of that, but how much? How much? How much? I'm a listener. I listen to people all the time. I hear people People pour their lives out to me all the time. But how much can I bear? I mean, I know about how much I can bear. I do. And, And there comes a point where we really need to take advantage of what we're called to do. And that's to come unto Jesus because he'll give us rest. That's to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. That's to understand that we can pour out our tears to him and our prayers and our emotions and our feelings, and he will take full notice of us. See, Job didn't doubt that for a second. He understood it. That we have somebody that's ready and able. You know, God knew Job's innocence, and Job knew that, and he cried out to him, and and God took notice. Job didn't doubt, and he knew God would testify on his behalf. He knew it. How many of the Psalms are David crying out to God? He had people around him. He did. He he had he had people around him almost constantly, and he could have unloaded on them, but instead he'd read the Psalms, and you see him just taking his burden and and releasing that to God. You see him casting his cares upon God because he understood God cared for him. Thousands of years before that was ever written in the New Testament, David knew that. Job knew that. Because there's something about their relationship that told them that. It wasn't the fact that the law said so. It wasn't the fact that somebody told them that you know, at the tabernacle or something. It wasn't any of those things. It's that he had a relationship with the living God, and that relationship reflected the fact that that God cared for him. that was looking out for him, and that wanted to hear what he had to say. We need to get a hold of that in our lives. And so he ends up saying this. He says uh, that God makes an appeal for him. An appeal and if you read the rest of that it kind of gives us a parenthetical statement so it talks about God makes an appeal for him it says as a man begs someone to help his friend wow wow that's what he's got so we got Jesus speaking to the father as someone someone on our behalf who begs someone to help his friend Somebody look up First Peter three twenty two. First Peter three twenty two. First Peter three twenty two. So, locationally, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father, right? With all those beings in submission. And the right hand, that's the place, not only a place of authority, but it's also a place of influence. The the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And there he is. There he is, and he's there to help us. As we read in the the verses before, Hebrews 7.25, he lives always to make intercession for us. He's always the go-between. There's one go-between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So all of these things working together, there he is. The scriptures declare it. He's right at the Father's right hand. And so when it says he's making an appeal for us, He's right there to make an appeal for us. I always thought it was interesting when Stephen was being stoned in the book of Acts. It is a powerful scene. He's the first martyr. He's the first Christian that was killed because of his faith. He's a deacon in the church. He stood up and he preached the word of God and he was stoned for it. And uh, stoned to death for it. And as he was dying... The Bible declares that he looked up to heaven, and he said what he said, but the the part I want you to hear tonight is Stephen, as he was giving up his spirit, as he was just declaring that I'm about to die, it, it shifts the scene in the scripture to heaven, and in the scene in heaven, Stephen looking up, he could see Jesus at the right hand of the Father, but he was standing. You know, in almost every place in the Bible where he's pictured at the right hand of the Father, he's sitting. But when that first martyr was dying, he was standing. And you think about why we stand. You think about situations in our society, why you stand up. Right? National Anthem being played, you stand up. Why? Respect. Respect. That's right. Respect. When the bride enters for the wedding, what's supposed to happen? Stand up. Why? Respect. Honor. All right? And there's other, I mean, I could go on. But I want you to understand, as as they were getting ready to receive that man, that first one, and he would be the first of many that were going to die for their faith. But as they were getting ready to receive that first one into heaven you see Jesus standing up. Understand it, that he's with us. Understand it, that he was with Stephen that day. Understand it, that he was responding to him. That this wasn't just haphazard, oh, I happened to catch him standing up. When every other scene we see him in, he's sitting down. There's something significant about that. Something powerful about that. Why does God Almighty want to show us respect? Because look, Stephen was giving his life, his life, laying down his life for the sake of the gospel. All right. So Jesus is 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 there. And he's as a man, it says, someone to help his friend, begging someone to help his friend, to help me, his friend. I'm his friend. And he's, he's, he's like someone, a man begging someone to help his friend, to help me. And the idea behind that, the picture is like, is to contend for a man in a judicial conflict or controversy. In other words, there's a controversy, there's some kind of contention, So we're going to take it to court. And so we need somebody to represent us. We need somebody to stand up on our behalf. We need somebody to testify. We need somebody to tell it like it is. We need somebody that's on our side to say, this is who this guy is, and this is the answer to this. And we have that in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We have that. And so whatever the contention is, whatever the controversy is, we have someone that's standing up on our behalf. Job, he's like, these, these guys are all telling me I'm, I'm this, that, and the other thing. And all these people and whoever else. And the devil was accusing him. And all these things were happening in his life. He's like, i got one person I'm going to call on. If you can call on one person, let me tell you it's a good idea who to call on. Jesus. All right, That's your one phone call. You get one phone call, call Jesus. All right, because he's the one. He's the one that's willing to stand up for you. He's the one that's willing to go to bat for you. He's the one that's willing to go to court for you. He's the eyewitness you need. He's the one that's going to tell it like it is. He's your friend that's going to stand up for you, defend you from scorn and from injury and all the rest. He's the one. That word there, as a man, begs someone to help his friend, that word man literally, literally, in the original language, is son of man. Now that's a powerful statement because the son of man is pleading for his neighbor. And you know what they call Jesus, right? Or what Jesus called himself? All through the book of Mark, anybody? Son of man. Yeah. Yeah, so, so think about how spiritually pregnant that statement is that Job's making. Because he is, he's prophesying there. We're seeing something that isn't going to be seen for thousands of years. And here's a guy without the benefit of any written word, the benefit of any formal teaching, the benefit of anybody telling him what to believe. Here's a guy that's just working off his own relationship, personal relationship with God. That's it. And he makes a statement that is so full of meaning, so full of life, so full of truth that the Son of Man is pleading for his neighbor, for him. Powerful. Powerful. That we see the Son of Man it coming, to, that, that, that idea, to see the Son of Man, that that, that reference would be coming up right here. And so you got this, this freedom that we have. We have this powerful uh, argument on our behalf. This idea that there's no reason to fear. Because we have someone on our behalf that's that's an eyewitness that's willing to stand up for us. And I know some of you are thinking, it's like, well, if he's an eyewitness, then he knows all my problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not fooled, and he still wants to stand up for you. Yeah, that's the really neat thing about it. We were just talking during the intern meeting today about Adam and Eve and, and how Adam was created in the image of God he had it he had it it was in his hands that he had the image of God and that he was going to live forever he was given just a couple things he needed to do really and 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 he was to respond to God he was to to live in, in freedom and in relationship with God. And he could eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. The guy had, it, he had everything, everything. He was as much like God in that moment as he could ever be. As man could ever be like God, Adam was. Made in his image by God himself, living on the breath of life from God himself. That's the truth. It could get none better. That was the best. And yet, and yet, the serpent was able to fool him. The serpent was able to fool him and tell him, well, God doesn't want you to either treat the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows if you do, then your eyes will be open, and you'll be like him. That was the argument. And it worked. But he was already like him. And he could never be any more like him than he was in that moment before he ate of that tree. Ever. And we have never, ever been that much in the image of God since. Never. And the point I'm trying to make here is that God gives us something. God gives us life. God gives us relationship. God gives us intercession. God gives us th- this whole thing that he's pouring out into our lives. And he's saying, this is who you are. He's telling us who we are over and over and over again in the scriptures. And that's the truth. That is who we are. But for some reason, we allow the serpent to deceive us and tell us that's not who you are. If you'll do this, this, and this, then that'll be who you are. And we just get further and further and further away from it every time we listen to that. Every time we give him room in our hearts, we give him room in our minds, we move further away from the image that he has for us to live in. As many times as I can tell you Jesus loves you, that that he is our righteousness. I can tell you that he's the one who cares for us and loves us no matter what. I can tell you all this truth about who God is. And and I can tell you, tell you, tell you. But as soon as the serpent comes and tells you, well, if you really want to be close to God, this is what you need to do. And you go and do it. you just put yourself further away again. This is the lie from the beginning. Because the truth from the beginning is God made us the way he wanted us. He did. And, and we didn't believe it. And we went off with something that was in our heads. And we've never been as close again. So God, in order to redeem us, his son became flesh. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He lived. He taught. He died on a cross. He rose again. He shed his blood so that we could come into relationship with the Father. He's done everything that's necessary. He's done everything that's needed. He has provided everything that would ever need to be provided for us to come back into relationship, back into that created order of what he created us to be. He's done it. We just have to receive it. Except for something in our mind. But if you just do this, this, and this... You'll be really even closer. And we give it up again. Every time we do that. God makes us the way he wants us. That's his purpose and his will. He makes us how he wants us. If we could make ourselves into the image of God, what kind of God is that? And I mean seriously. Seriously. What kind of God will we be able to somehow finagle ourselves into the image of? Maybe a God in our brain. Maybe a God that we can see in the mirror. Maybe a God that uh, we can make with our hands. Maybe a God that we make up. Maybe. But the living God of the universe, the one that's beyond even our understanding, that we can't even fathom, he's the one that has to make us like him we can't it is an impossibility and so every time that lie comes up it's just a lie every time that same old lie comes up we have a choice I'm going to rest in what God has made or I'm going to go out and try to do it myself and I'm going to pull myself even further away again you got that choice And unfortunately, it's like like Groundhog Day. We keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Repeat comes up. Serpent comes. Hey, if you do this, you'll be even closer to God. You'll be more like him. And it's just another lie. Oh, all you got to do is tweak this in your life. You'll be more like God then. It's just another lie every single time your brain tells you that every single time oh if you're just a nicer person you'll be closer more like god it's just another lie and you get further away less like him maybe more in your image less in his but this whole idea is it creates whole systems in the church of how to be more holy or more like god i mean that whole movement that came about what 20 years ago what would Jesus do? You know what the proper answer to that is? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, because I don't. Alright? Because people made stuff up for that, I'm telling you. But they thought, well, if I could just put myself and I could be more, if I could act more like Jesus, I'll, I'll really be closer to God. Well, that's not really how it works. It's not how it works. I mean, oh, what if you come across a blind person? Well, let's help them across the street, okay? Or let's make sure they're getting to where they need to go. Let's be nice to them. Or or let's accept them. Or let's befriend them. Or whatever it is you think Jesus would do. How about spit on the ground, make a little dirt mud pie, and stick it on their face? How's that sound? (laughs) Because that's what Jesus did. So what would Jesus do? All right. And it's a, I don't know. I am I'm, I'm kind of using this, but I, I want you to understand. It's like that's not the answer. Well-meaning people are doing that and they create a lot of nice people, but that's not the answer. It's really not. The answer doesn't lie in what we can produce. The answer doesn't lie in what we can figure out. The answer doesn't lie in how nice of a person you are. The answer doesn't lie in what you know, of doing that one more thing, and that'll be it, and I'll finally be more like Jesus. It doesn't lie in that. It's not the, the five-step program, the three-step program. It's not going to the right conference. It's not hearing the right speaker. It's not watching the right thing on YouTube. It's none of those things, none of them. It has to do with resting in who God has really made us to be. I've been talking a lot about our identity. You've got to believe it, though. Job is speaking of his identity over and over and over again. I don't have any problem talking about it, but at some point you need to believe it. He understood his identity. That's why he could face tragedy and still believe. He understood his identity. That's why he could face opposition and still believe. He understood his identity. That's why he could have people that were constantly nagging him about how bad he was, how awful a person he was, and he still knew he was who he was. And he called on God as his witness Because he knew God would stand up on his behalf. You see, he understood who he was. And there's a power in that. There's a real power in understanding who you are. You get who you are in the kingdom. Man, there's a confidence in that, there's a boldness in that, there's a power in that. There really is and I don't know how to express it any better or any or any more clearly than that but there's a real power in understanding your identity. Cuz there's there's a macro level of this of, of in general this is our identity as a believer and then you start getting more refined in understanding who you are. You are in Christ. So not only am I a child of God, not only am I mean, forgiven, not only am I accepted not only am I one that, that God is is interceding for that loves and is going to continue to love and all the rest of those kind of things not only am I all of those things but in, in a very micro sense I'm also his son or his daughter I'm I'm this person uh, this is who he's made me to be this is this is who he's called me to be and you begin to see yourself differently because I'll tell you what. In, in the world that we live in, a child of a king acts differently than the child of the servant. Alright? And that's just the way the world is. And if you begin to understand who you are in Christ, and I'm not saying you're not a servant or anything because Christ was, but you begin to understand that you're identified with the one who has all authority. The one who has victory over death and hell and the grave, then you begin to trample upon snakes and scorpions and over every work of the enemy. You begin to walk in an authority that he's given you because you can. And you're not so easy to push around. You're not so easy to just succumb to every whim or every wind or every a wave moving you to and fro. But you have an identity that tells you who you are. (laughs) Even if the world's telling you you're, you're nothing, you have an identity that really tells you who you are. And it's settled. Settled. Like I said, Job, he didn't have any scriptures to back it up. He just believed what he believed you got all kinds of scriptures to back up who you are. All kinds of them. You can read that every day if you want to. But you got to believe it. It can't just be words on a page. It has to be written in here somehow. Read, written deep down inside. And understand the Son of Man. He's pleading for you. He's, he's interceding on your behalf. He's in front of the Father day and night on your behalf, interceding. He's involved in your life. He's watching you. Not in a bad way, in a good way. He's watching out for you. To care for you. If you can receive it. If you can. So can we say what Job said here? I don't think we can say more than he said, because he said a lot. Can we say less? I hope not. But I hope we understand that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's the same Jesus that he was talking about that we need to talk about in our life. When things don't go our way, we have a witness in heaven. We have someone interceding for us. Our identity doesn't change when things are going our way. We have someone interceding for us. We have an identity that doesn't change when things are going our way. What about when there's hard times? We have an identity that doesn't change. It is who we we are who we are. What about you know those times where it seems like we're down or we're hurt? Well, we still have an identity, and we can pour out our emotions. We can pour out our tears, our feelings, and our prayers. Before God, and we know that He takes full notice of that. We got all that going, all of that, and so our circumstances are no longer, no longer the ruling factor in our lives, and they shouldn't be, because circumstances change. There's good days, there's bad days, there's favorable, favorable days, there's unfavorable days. It all happens to all of us. There's all those things. And yet the circumstance, that's not what's going to rule us. What needs to rule us is who we are, who God is. And let that be the truth in our lives. Anybody have any questions or comments? he's the reason we can go to the father in other words he opened that door for us so whatever gifts whatever i mean we'll use the we'll use the phrase god pretty generically to to mean god the father god the son god the holy spirit all right so most of the time when we're being used in the gifts of the holy spirit we're receiving revelation from the holy spirit In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us a word for somebody. The Holy Spirit gives us a vision for someone or whatever. Uh, However, we move, the prophetic word moves in us. So, most of the time, that's really the work of the Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, The Father and His role and who He is. I mean, we can come before the Father. That door has been opened for us by Jesus, and He gives us access to the Father, and so we take that access. I mean, He taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, he taught us to pray directly to the Father. When the disciples asked Jesus, well, how are we supposed to pray? He said, this is how you pray. And so we have that access to the Father. And there's other religions that don't believe that they believe that, you have to, that there has to be a middle person? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. And, and they would say, you know, you need... Uh, yeah, I don't want to get into it too far, but they would say, yeah, that you would need some other type of a mediator, like the, the cult of the saints that being that, or, or something like that. The Bible's really clear, the, or they'd say, you know, Mary would be a mediator for us or whatever. But the Bible's really clear there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's clear. And so if, if we're trying to create other mediators, uh, then we're just making stuff up and there's no reason to do that we have a clear mediator and he is accessible he's loving he's paying full attention to us and he's interceding on our behalf all the time so uh, so yeah I mean I don't know if that helps does that answer the question Yeah. okay yes Mm-hmm. I was reading an article earlier today about um, babies and how they know how to regulate food. Like when they're done eating, <laughs> you know, like they kind of, they know what they need. Mm-hmm. And, and they're just really natural and they're created the way they're created. And how it was about dieting and like how it's like they're not on a diet because they're babies. Right. But Right. And um, I just, it really resonated with me when you said how God created us already. Like, He already created me. I feel like the older I get, the more aware I am of that He created me a certain way, and I want to be more content to roll with that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think all of creation is able to regulate itself, except us. I mean, if you think about it, well, not even that. I mean, humans. uh, humans. I mean, I think think all all of creation regulates itself pretty well, you know, except for us. Why? Because we have choices. Right. And because we exercise that choice, we hurt ourselves. In a lot of different ways. That being one of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And we hurt ourselves for different reasons, and we all have our reasons, but I think quite naturally, though, like you said, God created us a certain way, the way He wanted us. And then it was our choice to do it better. And I say that with all sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? Right. Well, he just stood there, and and you know he he was verbalizing what he was seeing, and that that made him crazier. The people that were yeah, the people that were stoning him went really crazy then, because he said that oh, blasphemy, blasphemy. That wasn't blasphemy. That's beautiful, but they wouldn't hear that. All right, let's pray. I just want to pray something simple for us tonight, and uh, just give you a moment to receive that. Father, I just ask that tonight we'd be able to embrace the, the identity that you've given us. And I just pray each of us, as we're sitting here, that we'd take hold of that, and that we would integrate that, and we'd really believe you tonight. So I just want you to take a few moments just to respond to that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yeah, Jesus, we say thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring for us. And God, I say thanks that you made us the way you want us. And Jesus has given us the opportunity to return into that image. I just pray that we would live in that. Find our peace, find our rest, and find our life in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Screw by saying amen. Amen. Amen.